0: In the United States, uh, 85% of us claim to be Christian. But I have a hard time finding 85% of us that actually believe Jesus lived and existed, let alone are wanting to follow him and, and, and put his teachings into practice. So uh, we are in the middle of a series that's called Follow. We want to take a look at what it means to follow Jesus. What does it look like when you really follow him? What does it feel like? And uh, if you were here last week, uh, you, got a, you got a great treat because you learned something that, that's really an amazing thing. You learned that God thinks that you can do the same things that Jesus did. Remember, he said that when a rabbi was being picked, uh, they would go out and, and they would find the smartest kid. They'd get a bunch of, you know, kindergartners together and they'd test them. And they say, these ones are good at memorizing stuff. And so if you were one of the gifted ones, you could have come and you could follow the the rabbi. You know, you you do what he did. He's saying, hey, I, I think that you can do the things that I'm doing. And if you didn't make the cut, you became a carpenter or a fisherman or some other trade. But Jesus went to the carpenters and to the fishermen, to the tax collectors. And he said, you can follow me. You can do what I'm doing. God loves you and God thinks that you can do what he's doing. But the great thing about Jesus, as awesome as that message is, is that Jesus is not a, he's not a salesman. Jesus is not trying to throw a pitch. He's not trying to, you know, uh, soft sell you, um, sugarcoat things. He's not trying to get you in the door and follow him. And then afterwards, you get hit with it, right? Now, Jesus, he just tells it like it is. He says there are some wonderful things. You follow me, you're going to experience life and blessings and and just some wonders, things that are beyond your imagination. But he also says that there's a cost. He says that there's something, that there's pain, that there's there's a downside to following him. And we're going to read one of these passages. And if you don't have a a Bible, I want to encourage you right now to raise your hand. We're going to be reading from a, a passage and uh, if, you, if you don't have one, this is you know, ushers are going to come by with some Bibles. This is a free gift from us to you. Use it, write in it, mark it up. You're probably going to want to un- underline some things from the, the passage we're reading from Luke today. Because um, it's not exactly things that you would think Jesus would say. If you haven't read a lot of, of the, the scriptures, a lot of, of, of his teachings, uh, you may be surprised to hear him say this says in uh, Luke chapter 14 verse 25 says large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them he said if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother his wife and children his brothers and sisters yes even his own life he cannot be my disciple and anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple all right, large crowds are following Jesus. And it's not hard to understand why this is. I mean, Jesus, he came in with this message that was just so contrary to what they had heard. I mean, the teachers of the law used to say things like, like look, you want to be a follower, then you've got to be perfect. You've got to memorize these scriptures. You've got to follow these, these laws to the nth degree. And they were, they were famous for putting all these heavy burdens on people. And yet, a lot of times, they didn't even obey the spirit of the law. And Jesus went to those that were the outcasts, those that were the sinners, the prostitutes, the people who hung out in bars, the people who were stealing money from other people, the people that knew that they were on the outside. And Jesus went to them and said, you know that God loves you. God cares about you. God loves you right where you're at right now. And he wants to invite you into his kingdom. Hear this message. I mean, that was, that's a pretty amazing message. popular message. People hungered for this. And when, he started to, when, he, when Jesus would teach, the teachers of the law would say, memorize this, do that. But Jesus, his teaching was different. It, it, just, it, it, was, it was like when he spoke, the words were pulled right from their own context. He would, if he was sitting at a table, he'd talk about a banquet table. If he was outside, he'd talk about a tree, and he'd point to it. And his teaching was one with authority and power, not like those that were just rehearsing things. And when he spoke, he followed it up with amazing actions. People were coming to him. Miracles were occurring. People were being healed. And then, not to mention all of that, but there was one time where he had these loaves and these fish, and he, there was just you know a few of them, and he fed 5,000 people. So a lot of people said, I mean, Jesus is, you know, He's interesting, and he's doing all of this stuff out in the outskirts. So it's almost like, you know, you start to hear these rumors, and, oh, I heard about this, and then Jesus did this, and then you're starting to hear things that, that, oh, maybe he was born of a virgin, or that, that angel showed up on the day he was born. So this buzz is happening, and people are starting to follow him. They want to know what's going on with Jesus. And so Jesus, with all his amazing teaching, his powerful message, says, hey, you guys are following me? If you want to really follow me, you want to be my disciple, you've got to hate your father and your mother, your brothers, your sister, your wife, your kids. Well, he's using here a Hebrew idiom that says that means love less. But when they heard it, they heard the same thing that you and I are hearing. These are strong words. He's saying that if you want to follow me, then your primary relationship has to be with me. It has to be supreme over, over all your other the strongest other relationships that you have and i know that there are some of you that are here today and you uh, you know what this is all about because the fact that you're here at life point this morning is an issue with your family you know if you haven't been fully disowned whenever you go in for the holidays you know it's it's a tough thing they want to know why you're still going to that church what's going on with this jesus says if you want to follow me there's a cost it may cost you your relationships he also says that you're going to have to pick up your cross. Now, we're familiar with this idiom, aren't we? You know, I mean, like if I'm working on a long Excel spreadsheet and I'm having to put in a long week, it's, it's my cross to bear, right? I mean, isn't that the, the way we use that? You know, whenever you have some tough task that you have to do? Well, it had a really different meaning for Jesus in, in his day. I mean, if you think about, you know, you're on the highway, you, you see billboards, well, for... For them back in this time, if, you, if Jesus and his disciples were, were going from Nazareth to Capernaum, they'd have billboards as well. They were crosses with people hanging on them. And there'd be signs on there saying, you know, if you disobey the Roman government, this will be your end. And in a, an environment where death was commonplace and happened often, even your lifespan wasn't that long, how you died was a big deal. If you were going to be executed, there was an honorable way, a beheading. But this was a dishonorable way. You were naked and then beaten and then put on a cross. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, if you follow me, that this humiliation could be your lot. Pain could be your lot. He says, no, you've got to go and pick this up. You've got to embrace it. That's that's part of the cost of, of what it means to follow me. All right, so Jesus continues on. He said, all right, let me give you some, some examples. Let me give you a picture of what it looks like, what the cost is like. He says, suppose that one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and he was not able to finish. Well, I mean, this is something that we can relate to, Right? I mean, if, if you have ever purchased a home, you know what a big deal it is. I mean, you go in there, and they, they check your credit. They, they're checking your work history. I mean, you got to fill out this long application. And when you finally go in there to sign, I mean, it's just page after page. And, and if your last name's there you're there for a long time <laughs> and just writing that thing out. And, I, you know, I don't even know what all was in there. I know the lady, she's telling me, you know, eh, this is what this means, and this, if you don't pay your bills, this is what happens. And... Uh, all I know is that by the time that you're done, you know you have signed your life away, right? Still alive here? There we go. Now, my grandfather, he told me that, that a long time ago, um, back when, you know, in his day, when people used to buy homes, they, they did these things. They put a down payment down on it. Now, of course, we don't do that stuff today. That's an old thing, you know. Uh you know because back then they thought that maybe if you had a little flush in the game that you were be a little more concerned before you take out a loan, make sure that you can pay it. But we know today that's not a problem because we all you know will be able to pay those bills it's not a big deal, but you know when you did that, if you put a down payment down in the house and suddenly you can't pay your bills and the bank foreclose on it, what happened to that down payment? yeah, and normally that down payment. Not only is it all gone, but normally that down payment, that's like your life savings. Like that's what you saved up to be able to put down. You want to buy a house, it's a big deal. You're all in, right? When Jesus' day, I mean, it was an even bigger deal. If you bought a house, you either did one of two things. You either paid cash, which means you put in pretty much everything that you had into it, or you did like we do. You go and, and you, you buy what you can and you get a loan. Now, if you default on that loan, They put you in prison. You go to debtor's prison. And you stay in debtor's prison till you pay off that loan. Do you see a problem here? (laughs) So you either have to sell your kids into slavery. Your wife has to go and become a prostitute because she probably didn't have any other means to make make things by. Somehow you got to come up with the money. When somebody bought a house in Jesus' day, they were all in. All in. Jesus says, okay, suppose, I'll give you another example here. Or suppose that a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose one who's coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off, and he will ask for terms of peace. All right. Again, I mean, you know, now the stakes are up even higher, right? We're talking about war here. Now, we're not talking about modern-day warfare where once somebody goes in and invades, there's, there's pressure from neighboring countries, and, you know, the UN gets in there, and, and, you know. We're talking about a time where if you did not win this battle, if you decide to go in and you, you lose, they come, and your kids are gone, and, and, you know, your wife's gone, and you're killed. They don't want you hanging around anymore. Everything is gone. And so when a king is is calculating this stuff out, if he doesn't think he can cut it, he doesn't get in the game. But if he does, if he goes to war, it's a serious decision because he's all in. There's no reserves. You fight to the last man. You fight because that's it. It's over. You see, Jesus is trying to say here that when you make this decision and you're going to follow him, you've got to be 100% in. The last verse in there says, In the same way, in the same way of the builder and the king, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. That's the requirement. You must give up everything. Following Christ will cost you everything. And this isn't the only place this is found. This wasn't some like some obscure teaching that Jesus said on an afhand chance one moment when he was walking by. He says this stuff again and again. Listen to this. Luke 9. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. That's pretty cool, right? Jesus come along. He's teaching. This guy says, hey, I'm sold. I'm, I'm, I'm sold out. I'll, I'll follow you wherever you go. What's Jesus say to him? He said, hey, here's your, here's your disciple robe, you know. Get back there with the 12. Now Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus says, listen. He says, you want to follow me? Really? Where, wherever I go, that's where you want to go? Do you realize that birds have nests, foxes has, have holes? Right now, you have a home too. You kind of fit in this, in this place, in this world. You start following me, and you're an outsider. You're going to be a foreigner and an alien, and you may be able to speak enough of the language to get by, but everybody's going to look at you a little funny. Like, you got an accent. Like, you ain't from around here. That's what it's going to be like if you are all in and you're following me. All right, so he said to another man. Now, this time Jesus sees a guy. He says, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury the dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Not the first kind of teaching of Jesus that you hear, is it? Guy just wants to go back, bury his father. And maybe his father had just died. Maybe his father was a couple years from dying, and he's saying, hey, let me get my house in order. My dad dies, you know, put everything straight, make sure everybody's taken care of, and I'll head out. I'll follow you. Jesus says, no. If you want to follow me, you follow right now. You go. Time is of the essence. Can't look back to the other things. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Pretty reasonable. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. He says, you're out there farming. You got your plow, you're trying to make nice even furrows. He says, anybody who's looking back, they're going to be veering off like this. You want to follow me? You have to be all in. You have to make it this your focus. You can't have anything else that's pulling you away. Following me is going to cost you everything. Now, have you ever heard that following Jesus is actually something that you can't pay to do? That actually it costs you nothing. Anybody ever hear that before? I mean, because Jesus is saying here it's going to cost you everything. I know I sat in Sunday school and somebody told me that it is free. That, that did not cost me anything. Paul, who was one of the great church planters in the early church, that's what he went on. He, he just plants all these churches. He writes a letter to Ephesus. This is what he says. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Nothing you can do, nothing you can earn. In fact, there's people out there right now who are saying, I'm going to come to LifePoint once I get my act all cleaned up. And then much to their surprise, they're going to show up and find out that we're all a big mess as it is. They're going to realize, what was I doing this for? No, there's nothing you can do to earn this. It costs you nothing. It's a gift. So how does this work? How does it cost you everything, but it's also free? See, if we're thinking about this in terms of contract, it doesn't make sense, does it? Like God, what do you want from me? Because I want this from you. Okay, you're going to give me this. Then what do I have to do? I have to do these things? Well, it it didn't fly with that. But if we consider it in terms of a relationship, it's a whole different thing. How many of you have either been married, married now, ever seen a marriage, been around married people? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of, marriage is kind of like the primary relationship in our culture and society. It's one, it kind of like everything else kind of centers around it. And in Jesus' day, and one, one time he was teaching, he said, listen, if you ever really want to understand." what my relationship is, Jesus' relationship is to us, then you need to look at a marriage. It's the best example. And a really good marriage is going to look like a good relationship with Jesus and his church. And a good relationship with Jesus and his church is going to look like a really good marriage. I started thinking about this. What was the cost? What did my wife cost me? (laughs) Now I started thinking through this. I, I didn't have to go out and pay a dowry, thank goodness. My wife didn't come out and say, all right, you know, here's the ring. It's at Hellsburg. You know, save the money. You take, you get this, and then we can talk, you know. I mean, it wasn't like any of that. I mean, it was really kind of, it was free. I mean, there was no cost like that. But there is a cost. I mean, like, it'd be kind of nice if I had, like, like set, you know, six days out of the week. I am my wife's, okay. But Friday night is mistress night. You know, I mean... I could have mistress night on Friday night. But it's really one of the costs because my wife just is inconsistent with with that relationship. I can't have mistress night on Friday night. Or if I say, you know, I've got a lot of other stuff I'm kind of dealing with over here, and I I just need some medication, okay? I need alcohol or drugs or some other pleasure for that. And uh, I need this. Honey, I love you, but I need this too. I need you both. Well, we kind of have a problem here, don't we? Because my wife is not gonna stand for, for this other lover, right? This other thing. She wants my full devotion. She wants me to be all about her. And if I'm not all about her, then I really don't have a relationship with her. Can't serve two masters. I gotta choose which one I'm gonna follow, which one I'm gonna serve. You know? If if my wife, I- I- as much as I love the church, and as much as I love to, to do what I'm doing. If my wife says, you know what, I don't know about this whole moving to North Carolina thing, then we're not moving to North Carolina. Because she's just that, she's so much more valuable to me than my career. See, that's the picture of what we have. And, and you're going to find that when you are following Christ, he is going to consume your focus. You know, I just said that, that Jesus is going to cost you everything. Well, here's another passage where he talks about it's going to cost you everything, but it's got a little bit different flavor to it. I mean, listen closely. Just see if you can smell the difference here. Jesus, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, one of his favorite topics. He's always wanting to say, hey, let me tell you what life is like in the kingdom. This is what it looks like. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then, in his joy, he sold everything that he had, and he bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who is looking for fine pearls. Now, when he found one of great value, he went away and he sold everything that he had and he bought it. All right, the first guy comes in there. He finds this field. He sees this treasure in it. He buries it again. He goes out and it says, in his joy, in his joy, he sold everything that he had. Because what he found in that field when he saw it, he realized that it was so valuable, it was worth everything else that he had. Or how about the pearl merchant? Now, I, I love this this idea. I mean, here this guy is, and he's, he knows a good pearl when he sees one, right? And so he's going through, and there's all these pearls laid up. But to the average person, they all look the same. Like, one of those pearls is Jesus, and then right next to it is the pearl of career. And then another pearl is, is Oprah or Dr. Phil or, you know, or or my kids, or my spouse, all these pearls. And he's looking through there, and and they they all look pretty much the same, but he starts to see this one. He sees the Jesus pearl, and there's something a little different about it. And the more that he looks at it, the the more valuable he sees it is, the more his eyes are opened to the awesome and powerful value of this pearl to the point that he starts to realize that this pearl is so valuable that he is willing to sell everything that he has, give it all up for one pearl. Because to not have this pearl is to have nothing. But to have this pearl is to have everything and anything that's worth having. That's the conclusion he comes to. And that's what happens, is you start to realize that Jesus is the source of everything the source of all life. Really, when we talk about costing you everything, we throw all these little different things out there, but really what it means to be all in, to completely be sold out to follow him, it means that, that you die. Following Christ requires that you die. That's what it is. Jesus, another instance of this. Right now, he's about ready to, to go. He's about ready to, to go to his death on the cross. Last chance with the disciples. He starts talking with them. He says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life, there's that idiom again, who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. You know, we put Jesus way up on this pedestal. And he rightfully, he should be. But we got to remember that he came down to earth in the form of a man for a reason. So that we would follow him, that we would do what he does. And so following him, he said, listen, you're going to follow me. You're going to follow the same path that I did. You're going to give, and you're going to serve, and you're going to love. And you're going to walk towards the cross. You're going to die. You're going to have to die in every essence that, that death is required. You know, my grandfather was a gardener, and I grew up We lived right next door. So as a kid, I was out with my grandfather in the garden, running around. And his big thing was, was tomato plants. And so, if I had a tomato right now, and uh, I just I held it out like this, you could take that one tomato, and you could slice it up, and you could put it in your salad. You could love that tomato, and you could eat of it fully, for one salad. Or you could let it die. And then you could take all of the seeds that were found in that tomato, and next year you could go and you could, or this spring you could go and you could plant all of those seeds. And the tomato plants that would rise up, and the tomatoes that would be produced from that would be so much that you'd have to run out and and start a pizza joint just to just handle the... I mean, it would just be unbelievable how many tomatoes you would have. The fullness that would come from it. But it only comes when you first die. You must die to everything else. You know, last not last week, I guess it was a week before that, we had a a baptism service. And... uh, those of you that have seen baptisms or maybe seen them in videos, you know, that, you know that if you start to watch enough of them, you're going to realize everybody does a little, little bit different. There's style points out there for baptisms. And so I, I kind of have my own style. One of the things I like to do is when, when somebody's going down the water, and I like to make sure that every portion of them gets under that water. No elbows flying up there. You are fully submerged in that water. And when you first go down, the water kind of just it pours over, right? or, you know, it it kind of moves out of the way. And I like to hold them down there just long enough so that the water comes back. It's kind of like this calm, you know. And if I hold you down there long enough, I mean, you really do experience the full death, okay? I mean, it could happen. But see, that's that picture, though, is that when you go down in those waters, you have died. When you're under that water of baptism, what happens to all the things that you own before you went in the waters? They're gone, right? How about your plans for the future? That vacation you want to do, or going back to school and getting your degree? Gone. Because you've died. Now, about that time when when that moment's coming, i let them back up again, right? And when they come back up, they go, (gasps) and they get this deep breath in. And it's that, that breath of full life. When God gives those things back and he says, listen, now, You have fully died. Now I own everything and you are a steward. Go out there and live your life for the kingdom. Do what I've called you to do and follow in my pathway. For you are fully mine and I am fully yours. That's the picture of baptism. Another time, you guys all, you saw we had communion today. And uh, Jesus, you know, it's a description of what it means to be all in because you have fully consumed him, right? Right? So Jesus, he's telling the crowd this. And once again, he got a big crowd following him. They just ate, you know, feeding the 5,000. They think this Jesus character is a pretty good guy. And then he lays this out. He says, listen, unless you come and you fully consume, consume me, you eat of my flesh and you drink of my blood, you fully take in my life, you have no part of me. And this teaching was so offensive that the crowd started to leave. In, in John 6, it says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. These guys are all leaving, right? Jesus looks back, looks at the 12. He says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked his 12 this question. And then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. See, that's that's the crux, isn't it? In that moment, When you hear that kind of teaching and when you know the cost and that it will cost you everything, in that moment, do you see a pearl of great price? And do you say, I'm all in. Lord, you lay out some hard things, but where else are we going to go for life? Because life is only found in you. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you love us, that you have sent your Son to teach us and to show us And to pay the ultimate price for us. Lord, help each one of us to keep our eyes focused on you. To fully calculate the cost and then to totally buy in with everything that we are. That in dying, we might have life. Life to the fullest. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.